Gevach, what a pleasure to be back in Telstone. I haven't been here in a while. It's always wonderful to make that, uh, that what is it, 8 minute and 34 seconds, or something like that, out to Telstone. I really have to buy that car because my car doesn't do it in that amount of time. But it is good to know that it's close enough. And uh, first and foremost, the shir is Le'ilai Nishmas Mikhail ben David, Esther Malka Bas Alta Don. And the Shem Shem is a tremendous chus to bring together people to be able to hear Divrei Torah, especially on a Motzi Shabbos. Because in Eretz this is our entire weekend right now. This is it. You know? In America, Baruch Hashem, you have Shabbos Sheni Shogolius. You have a whole Sunday. Somebody said, you know, my husband is so assimilated, he takes his Shabbos nap on Sunday. You know what I'm saying? But uh, here, Sunday is a regular day. So uh, this, is, uh, this is that uh, wonderful opportunity that we actually have. And um, in Parsha Shmos, as we know, it says that they made them work with Avodas Porach, which the Chazal meant, say it means they made women do men's jobs and men do women's jobs. So in recognition of that, we've changed around the two sides of the base medrash <laughs> so that men can get a feeling what it feels like. <laughs> and now you know why when you say to your wife, why don't you come to davening, you know why. <laughs> but there's also a special recognition that the women got out of the house because, you know, especially on the Mosi Shabbos, after a Shabbos, you know, you have to get all the cleaning done and set everything up, and then you want to leave. And there's the crying and the whining and the complaining, and, and the kids are even worse, you know? So uh, to be able to get out is really quite an accomplishment. Men look forward to leaving the house on a Motsi Shabbos, and so uh, I guess that's why we stuck them in the Ezra's Nashim, because we don't appreciate the sacrifice as much. In any event, <clears throat> since we're already into Shmotz, you know, we said Chazak, Chazak, Veniz Chazak this morning. Um, a, uh, it's an interesting thing. Pashas Tetzaveh, so they asked the question, Pashas Tetzaveh, how come, Balturim says, how come Moshe Rabbeinu is not mentioned in Pashas Tetzaveh? Says Balturim, to be fair, there are a few Parshios in Devarim that he's not mentioned either. But he's talking. So you don't have to mention your name if you're talking. And I did this, and I did that, and I didn't have to mention your name. And he says, uh, okay, well, what about all of Bereshit's? Moshe Benu's name doesn't appear. And he gives what is somewhat an obvious answer. We don't expect his name to appear before he's born. Right? If he doesn't exist yet, he's not there. Which tells us, in essence, that Sefer Bereshit's is, to a certain extent, the prequel to the, to the Torah. It gives us, you know, the Torah, Torah's Moshe, where Moshe Rabbeinu is saying of the Torah, Zosa Torah, Moshe, Yisrael, Yisrael, right? This is the Torah. Moshe brought down, yeah, Torah Tzivalona Moshe, Moshe Kiyos Yaakov, everything that is, is Moshe Rabbeinu in the Torah. So, Beratius is before that. And that's why one of the themes of Beratius is Misa of a similar body. 
It's the introduction. You can find all of Jewish history described in the events. And the Ramban points out how the whole story with Yitzchak is really Golas Bavel. Going, Moshe Rabbeinu going down to Mitzrayim is, uh, excuse me, Avram Avinu going down to Mitzrayim is really all of Golas Mitzrayim. And all of the different aspects that are in Sefer Bereshit, all of these things are introductions to the events that are going to take place later in, in its fullness. So uh, when we look at Vayechi, we have to understand that it's, that it's the end of Sefer Bereshit, and as such, it's describing the events of the end of time which much bigger people than me said we are in now. This is the end of time. And so, uh, by the way, just a, just a quick word on that. Yeah. Moshe Shapiro pointed out that all of the names of the Sidre Mishnayis are Belosh and Rabin. Nosh and Zeke and Tyrus, with the exception of Moed. Moed is singular. Why? Because there's a way of looking at time. That there is an infinite line going infinitely in one direction and infinitely in the other direction. And that's, uh, and we exist somewhere on that time. Well, unfortunately for science, the Big Bang more or less put an end to one side. Yeah, as Dr. Schroeder likes to put it, the scientists finally figured out the first three words in the Bible, in the beginning, yeah? There's a beginning, right? Voracious. Time starts. Um, the universe is expanding. And as it stands now, unless they discover dark matter, which is still only a theory, uh, and if they discover it, but otherwise there's not enough matter in the universe to pull it back together. Which means that the universe will just continue expanding out until it completely burns out. So it has an end. From a Jewish point of view, we don't need all the scientific uh, gobbledygook, right? We put it very simple. There's Bereshis, and it'll end in Mashiach, right? And then after that, you know, the world will return to just water, and we'll all float above it with wings, and, yeah, okay, we don't have to go into all the, into all the details. We don't have to worry about it yet, yeah? We'll get there. But, um, uh, a few hundred years for that. But uh, the, the time is a, a constraint. That's why it's called Moed because we're going to a destination. Time has a destination. We're going somewhere. And so the end of time, when it's 6,000 years, 6,000 years, we're mamish in the, in, the, in the very end. We're in the end game here, you know? For almost 2,000 years, you would tell people that a bunch of people, like the people in this room, who, if you understand me speaking, probably moved here from a first world country, yeah, to be able to come to a country where they have a different attitude towards life than the one that we grew up with, you know, and, uh, you know, so you tell the repairman, when are you going to come? And he says, in three months, <laughs> on a Tuesday or a Wednesday, uh, Tuesday, in the morning or the afternoon, why? Because the gas company's coming in the morning, I just want to know when you're coming, <laughs> try to be there at the same time, you know. So uh, it's, it's adjustment. People don't appreciate the sacrifices that, uh, that all of us made by being here and the, what, it, what it reflects. But if you would have told people 200 years ago, you'll see you'll be living in Israel, in a city filled with houses and technology. Who could imagine? Who could imagine? You know, the, 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 the Kaisal is a bus ride away. 
12 minutes, using the eight and a half minute. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't take into account parking, but okay, you know. But, you know, it, it, but just the fact that we could just, you know, within a relatively short period of time to stand at the Kaisal, you know, which, which for our great-grandparents, yeah, was, was a distant memory, was, was a fantasy picture on a wall. Imagine that they would go and just stand there. So, um, so that's it. So we have to really try to understand the Parsha is here to tell us things. So that's my introduction. Let's take a look and see what it's saying. And I, I'm starting with a Rashi that everybody knows. Um, I had the schus to sit in a shir by Ramesh Shapiro, two shir, Ramesh Shapiro, for over 10 years. And um, what am I talking, close to 20 years. And uh, I wouldn't have the chutzpah to call myself a Talmud. And he certainly wouldn't. So uh, I know that for a fact. <laughs> um, somebody was upset at Rip Moshe once and they were taking it out on me, you know. And I said to them, I said, you're, you're angry at the king and you want to kill the jester, you know? <laughs> I said, you really think that Rav Moshe, like, you know, relies on me, you know, if he wants to get a message out? So I told this over to Rav Moshe and he says, it's really very funny. <laughs> That's, uh, that wasn't the answer I was hoping for, to tell you the truth, but, you know, you work with what you got. Anyway, so, uh, um, but, uh, you know, but I know that... Uh, when he would, uh, he, he would say over, you know, certain ideas, you know, so, um, there's a problem with ADD now, I forgot why I brought this up. But anyway, <laughs> so, uh, so I want to I focus on, on one aspect, yeah, one Rashi. And, uh, oh, that's what I wanted to say. <laughs> it's, a, it's a Rashi that we all know. And I used to say, when I would go to Rib Moshe, and he'd start with an Ariza. Well, he'd start with uh, Gra, Zaya, and he'd start in outer space and take off from there. So, okay, so I held on and, and tried to follow, you know. But the most amazing things is when he would take a Rashi that I've learned a thousand times. He would take a, a Mishnah, a, a Gemara that I've seen hundreds of times, and he would show the depth and brilliance of it. That, that to me, was the most amazing thing. That's, that was when I would be awestruck, you know. So, uh, so there's a Rashi we all know. Yaakov lived in Egypt 17 years. And he lived to 147. This is the introduction. It says there's, there's a thing that Kohanim get to do that everyone else doesn't get to do. And you get the first Aliyah. So like next week, say for Shmos, so the Balkore always shows you the spot. But it's pretty easy to find at the beginning of the Sefer because there's lines separating it from the next part. It's a whole new section. And so they come in for the Aliyah and they always go to the Balkore. <laughs> and he goes, oh, uh, I did that on Voracious this year. The guy didn't even respond, just ignored me, you know, you know. Where do I start? You know, you, you, know, you ain't pulling that one on me, you know. But on Parshas Vayechi, you can't pull that trick. Because Parshas Vayechi has no space separating the two words. The word Vayechi 
is exactly next to ma'od, the last word in the next parasha, and you can't even tell. It's a new pasuk, you can't tell anything. It's, there's no space. He says, Lama parasha zustuma. Why is this parasha closed? Lefi shekevin shenifter Yaakov avinu nistamu eneyem v'libam she Yisrael mitzores hashibud. She hitchilu l'shabed. Because when Yaakov died, the eyes and the hearts of Bnei Yisrael were closed from the tzuras of the Shibud which began. That's the reason that the parasha is closed. Because their eyes and hearts were closed from the Shibud. Dova acher, shebikesh lagalos esaketz v'nista mimenu. He wanted to reveal the time of the ketz and it was hidden from him. There's a general rule. Rashi himself says it in many places. Yeah? I'm a Pashtun. I'm coming to tell you Pashup Shai. That's my job. That's my mission statement. I'm not here to bring you Drash. I'm not here to bring you Sodas, Ramozim. And anytime he does, he says, because I have no choice. There's no way to do a Pashat unless I bring a Drash. Yeah? No, the Mepharshi Rashi explained why. He's a Pashtun. Why is this parasha closed? Because the eyes and hearts of Bnei Israel are closed. That is a very cute parasha drash. I expect to find that in a Hasidic Sefer, in a, in a little Dvar Torah book, you know. It's not Rashi. The parasha is closed because the eyes and hearts of Bnei Israel are closed? That doesn't explain to me why the parasha should be closed. Or, he wanted to be Megal the Kates, and it was hidden from him, so therefore we closed the parasha. That's not a good reason to close a parasha. The cute, the cute observations Rashi's making, but that's not pshat. You should tell me a pshat. That's question number one. Question number two, so we move along to Perak Memtes. By the way, that was the first Pasik, which is Perak Memzayin, Pasik Chavches, and this is the Perik Memtes Pasik Aleph. I never used to give Myra Makomas. And uh, Pesach Kron, who I have discussed to have a Kesha with, um, uh, said to me, you know, I listen to your tapes. You know, this is obviously an old story. I listen to your tapes, and you never give any Myra Makomas. And I, sometimes I want to say over some of the things you said, and I have to go and look it up. You should, you should always give the Myra Makomas. So, uh, in deference to my friend uh, Pesach Kron, I always mention now the sources. Another thing he taught me is that you should never name drop famous people you know just to look impressed. <laughs> he told me he heard that from his friend, Rabbi Friend. Anyway, so, um, <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, so that seems kind of strange. So come now, the beginning of the brachas. I want to tell you what will be at the end of days. Now, you know who else says that? Bilam. He says to Bullock, let me tell you what's going to be And he talks and tells him all these nevuas and what's going to happen at the end of time. Yaakov doesn't do that. He's megala certain traits. Yeah? He gives certain brachas that most of us will not be zoicha to get today. Right? You start to read the brachos. Ruvain, 
you know, you are unstable. Shimon and Levy, you guys have serious anger management problems. <laughs> that seems not like the kind of bracha that I'm looking for. Yeah? You go to Rabbi Chaim Kanievsky, he says, bracha v'atzlach. But that takes too long now. When you go to him today, he just says, bua. Now, he, a guy brought him a large sum of money for a particular stock of his. And he asked him for a bracha, so he says, bua. The guy brought him a lot of money. <laughs> so he says, you know, Rebbe, I brought you a lot of money. I was hoping for a longer bracha. So he goes, boo <laughs> <laughs> So I'm looking for a bracha. I'm not looking for the fact, you know, you go to Chaim Khan and he says, can you give me a bracha? Yeah, you're totally unstable. <laughs> Do you take drugs? No. Well, you should. <laughs> That's not what I'm expecting to hear. <coughs> the Territ says, this is the best, bro. Because when you come out of the restroom and there's a piece of tissue attached to your shoe, it's only the person who cares about you who will tell you. Other people don't want to tell you because they don't want to bother pointing out when you have a problem because maybe you'll get upset, etc. But the people who really care about you are going to point out your flaws. In the old days, people used to hire people to give them musr. They paid people to give them musr. Yeah? Today, you try to give people musa, they're not as receptive. And they, and they very seldom pay you for it. Yeah? It's been my experience. Yeah? Um, but uh, what can I tell you? You know, if you're in my age group, so you remember that if you were acting like an idiot, your rebbe used to say to you, stop acting like an idiot. You know? And uh, I have collections of, of such statements from some really important people in my life. And, very big people, too, you know, said things like that to me during my life. And, you know, they'd say to you, stop acting like an idiot, and you stop acting like an idiot, you know. Today, you can't say that to a kid because you destroy their self-esteem. When I was growing up, no one had any self-esteem. <laughs> they hadn't discovered it yet. It was like DNA. They didn't have that when I was growing up, you know what I mean? They found it later, you know. So now they have, uh, so you can't say anything to a kid because you'll destroy their self-esteem. So when a kid is acting like an idiot, you say, well... You're acting much better than you have been acting. <laughs> and I'm so proud that you came to davening twice this week. And if you keep it up, maybe you'll eventually come three times a week. You know? They used to say that to me. Maybe you'll come every day so we don't have to throw you out. <laughs> and I found that was a strong motivation. <laughs> But you can't have those kind of brachas. So uh, what do you need? Do you need somebody to sit there and tell you the good stuff? Rabbi Yechanan used to argue with Reish Lakish all the time. And when Reish Lakish died, he, he didn't know what to do. So they found another chavrusa with him. And everything that he said, the guy brought lots of proofs for him. And he says, I can't believe this. He says, Reish Lakish, everything I brought used to bring kashas on me. You bring proofs for me? I don't need somebody to support me. I need somebody to argue with me. I need somebody to point out where I'm making mistakes. And he eventually lost his mind because it was so painful for him. You have somebody to point out that you're doing the wrong thing. So that's the final bracha. But it's not achris ayamin. It's not, it's not the end of days. So, um, every year I do Chumash and Rashi. And uh, every now and then I try to add another parish. So, one year I added the Das Kedem. Why the Das Kedem? For the obvious reason, it's short. That's the main reason. <laughs> main reason anybody does anything in this world. Yeah? 
I used to make guys came to my house uh, say over different Torah, but it was too painful for me. You know, but sometimes they would look it up and they would read it. And this guy reads this this Torah from a paper. It was incoherent. I mean, mamish incoherent. I take a look. Let me see the paper. It's a collection of Myron Macomos, Rashi Tevos. You know, he took it from the Emes Yaakov. I take out the Emes Yaakov. I, I'm trying to figure out what he's took it out and put this together. And I look at him. I said, Why did you choose this? It was the shortest one. <laughs> it's obvious. Why? Why would you take something long? You take something short. So I took the dust cannon because it's short. The problem is that every single one of them is, it's not that it's incoherent. You read it and you go, what? What? What is he saying? Yeah. Okay, so I read your first Rashi. Agidilehem, um, <clears throat> what's going to be at the end of days, because Yaakov Legalis is a Kates, he wanted to reveal the time of the final redemption. Vinis Talka Mimenushina. Can you imagine how uh, um, how sad that must be? How frustrating that is. Yeah? I say, children, gather around. I'm going to tell you when Mashiach is going to come. Everyone gathers around. And he says. You should always rotate your tires. It's good for the tires, it's good for the car. Okay. If you want to make a really good potato go, you first put oil in the pan, heat it up. That's where the bottom becomes crispy too. Dad, Mashiach, I'm getting there. Now, Tully, you know, you're, you're like a deer, you run really fast. And your land is going to be really fast too. Mashiach, Dad. Mashiach. I, I bring it together to tell you a Mashiach is coming and it's hidden from me so I tell you other stuff? Dvar Macherim? What's the point of that? Just say, oh, I'm really sorry, I lost the Shechina. So thanks for coming, kids. <laughs> Don't let the door slam on your way out. <laughs> now, the, uh, the Das Kenim is very helpful here. I say Yikru Eschem. It's going to happen at the end of time. Bikesh Yaakov Legalis is a Kate, Vinis Talkum Emanushrina. Vitoma. He couldn't understand what happened. The Oma. Why can't I reveal the the, 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 the case to them? I lost it. I don't think they have a sin. Yeah. Valo ein behem chait. Klomar. Ein bechol shmos hashvatim lo ches vites. In all the names of the shvatim, when you look at all of the, of the names, there's no ches and tes. Yeshiva ruach hakodesh. Gam ein bechol osios shmos hashvatim lo kuf velot M. Cain and Royan Legalos Akates. Yeah, you're right. 
look at all their names, there's also no Kuf and Sadi. By the way, that's why on the Choshen, they put on all the names of the uh, Shvatim, they have to add in Avram, Yisak, and Yaakov, Yishurim, Shifta Yishurim, they have to add in certain words to get all the letters. In the names of the Shvatim, there are letters missing. So he says, I can't understand. There's no Ches or Tes, and Hashem says, there's also no Kuf and Sadi. Ah, what kind of discussion is this? There's no chait, there's no kates. Based on the letters of my names, that's, that's the determinant factor? Okay. So, how many of you up to two questions? Let's go for three. Yeah? At the end of a yigash, as we're approaching the end of a yigash, Yosef says to his brothers, he says, okay, I'm in Perak Mem Vav, Pazik Lamed Aleph. V'yom ha-Yosef ha-Ochiv, v'yom beis aviv, e'alev ha-gidu l'paro, v'yom re'elev, achai, v'beis aviv, yashab eretz k'nan bo elai. I'm going to tell him my family came. V'anoshim ro'e tson, they are shepherds, they are herders, and they brought all their animals with them. And when Paro asks, what do you do for a living? We are herders from our youth until this day. Us and our forefathers. Goshen. So that you'll live in Eretz Goshen. Because herders are an abomination to the Egyptians. So Yosef says to his brothers, when Paro asks you what you do, tell him you're a shepherd, because that's an abomination. Thanks a lot, Yosef. You still upset? I told you we're sorry we threw you in the pit. <laughs> you want me to go to the king and tell him I'm an abomination? Is this really necessary? Yeah? I'll tell you more than that. Yosef goes and tells them, tell Paro you're an abomination so that nobody will want anything to do with you. It says that when they opened up the storehouses, yeah, they came to Yosef for bread. And Yosef said, no problem. First you get a bris milah. They run to Paro. They said, okay, there's something seriously wrong with this system. <laughs> I went into the bakery to buy a loaf of bread. There's a guy standing there with a knife. I thought it was for the bread. <laughs> Evidently it's not. This is not the way I do business. Yeah? I understand paying an arm and a leg, but this is a little excessive. <laughs> it's just an expression. He says, well, you guys knew there was going to be a famine. Why don't you save up the food? He says, we did, and it all rotted. He says, well, if he can make the food rot, he can make you rot. So I guess, have a nice time, boys. Yeah, I was going to say boys and girls, but just boys. Boys, yeah, they all have to get a brisk meal. Why did he do that, says Rashi? 
because his brothers were going to be coming down and they all had a bris milah, and he didn't want them to feel embarrassed when they go to the bathhouse. So he was mal the entire country so his brothers shouldn't feel uncomfortable. Wait, there's more. At the end, the people buy all the, they use up all their money. They use up all their animals. They have nothing left. They finally say, listen, we'll sell ourselves as slaves and take our land. He says, okay. And what does he do? He moves around the entire population of Egypt. Why? Says Rashi, so that his brothers will not feel like exiles. You have people who've been living in a town for many years and somebody comes in, right? This is another difference about American society and Israeli society. I had a daughter who went to high school in Israel, in America, you know. And when she came in, you know, uh, Israelis are much more reserved, you know, and under, understated, yeah. So, uh, you know, she comes into the school and all the Americans are like, oh my gosh, you just moved from Israel? That's unbelievable. What's your name? Where are you staying? That's so great. I'm Connie. This is Shani. That's Bonnie. We're going to hang out with down. We're going to do that. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I want a piece of gum. And she was like overwhelmed. She says, if you're a new girl in school in Israel, the girls will like huddle and whisper. <laughs> like nobody's going to come over and say hello to you. You know what I mean? Like, you know, they're much more understated. You know, it's a, it's a different story. I was in the drugstore once, you know, and there was somebody like a friend of mine, like three people down, you know, behind me in a row. He says, how you doing? I said, Baruch Hashem. He says, Baruch Hashem, why are you in the drugstore? <laughs> I said, Baruch Hashem, they have a medication for my high blood pressure. Baruch Hashem, they have a medication for my diabetes. Baruch Hashem, they have a... And all these Israelis are going, ha! <laughs> and the druggist says, you don't have to tell everything. He said, I'm an American. We have no secrets. Yeah. <laughs> my wife is a friend. She said, I was so proud of myself. I finally went to one of the meetings at the seminar. You know, and usually I go there and say, you know, no, I'm not sad. He goes, oh, I call you Feb, I call Tove, I'm a recommender. Because I finally figured it out. She says, no, I'm not sad. I go, you say, dude. <laughs> That's all you can say. Anything more than that, they have you pegged immediately, you know. <laughs> we understate it, you know. So uh, people have been living in a town hundreds of years, you know, and you suddenly show up, a new person, you're a stranger, you're an outcast. You know? He didn't want them to feel uncomfortable. He moves around the entire population of Egypt so his brothers should feel comfortable. He moves or makes everybody get a bris mila so his brothers should be comfortable. And when they finally show up, he says, go tell Paro you are a toeva. An abomination. That's a strange thing. Yeah? Okay. Those are all our questions. Oh, we're out of time. Anyway, everyone should have a wonderful... <laughs> You know, the Abarbanel, if you ever learned the Abarbanel, he, he first writes all his questions. He goes to like 20 questions, you know. So and then he starts giving his answers. So they tell but this guy became an apicurus. So what happened? He used to read the Abarbanel Friday night, and he'd fall asleep before he got to the answers, you know. <laughs> Just left with the questions. Um, the Kliyakar says like this. Lama Parsha Tuma. So he says, let's go on the very simplest level. If you remove the spaces between two partios, what does that do? This is an all play. Partial for 200, yes? 
If you remove the spaces between parashiyos, what do they do? You can do this. <laughs> is this the English-speaking group? I just realized. <laughs> that is so embarrassing. <laughs> and it's not the first time it happened to me. <laughs> When you remove the spaces between parashiyos, what does it do? It connects it, Baruch Hashem. Now I'm going to drink some cold tea. Baruch Hashem. Anyway, it's funny. I used, to, I used to drink tea when I was younger, and I'd get a pain in my eye. I asked the doctor, and he told me to take the spoon out of the cup. <laughs> Anyway, so um, when you take away the space, it connects it. Because what Rashi is trying to be Megala is the end of Parshish Vayigash is the cause of the beginning of Parshish Vayechi. What's the last Posik? Vayeshev Yisrael Be'eretz Mitzrayim. Vayeshev Yisrael Be'eretz Mitzrayim. What does Vayeshev mean? To live as opposed to lagor. Lagor ba'aretz banu. Sojourn. One of those great art scroll words that I have never heard anyone use in real life. <laughs> Do you live here? No, I'm sojourning. <laughs> it's so much fun, because art scroll translates it into a dialect that is very similar to English, but it has many words in it that you would never use. Like, how do they translate kalim? Vessels. Vessels are boats. I have never been in a kitchen where someone says, would you mind handing me that vessel? I've never heard anyone say, behold. Ever, in any conversation. Yeah? Anyway, they came to sojourn. <laughs> and now it says, vayeshev. Yeah, Mitzrayim Be'eretz Goshen. And they took it as an inheritance. They were supposed to let go Be'eretz. You're supposed to just be staying. Let me explain to you what it means, staying. And there's a, there's a certain mindset to this. Okay? Um, Thanksgiving, Rabbi Fried from Nesivas Tours goes to Europe, and he takes me along as the scholar in residence. Yeah, of, uh, and he asked me the first time, several years ago, I said to him, why me? I'm not Rabbi Wine, I'm not a historian. I certainly am not going to prepare like Pesach Krohn does, you know. <laughs> I'm not going to do anything. Why do you want me to come along? And he said, because when people see your picture in the air, they know they'll have a good time. <laughs> I said, that I can do. <laughs> so he takes me and my wife and flies me to Europe and we stay in fancy hotels. He flies in a cook from Eretz Israel, and uh, he cooks all the food fresh. And uh, I go on the tours with the people, and I get paid for this. What a scam. Anyway, <laughs> everyone should consider becoming a speaker. Anyway, so, uh, so I go along you know, on these trips. Now, sometimes we stay in a hotel for like only one night. Usually he tries to have a base. But sometimes you spend one night in a hotel, and then you move down. In Spain, we spent one night in, you know, uh, 
outside of, I think it was Toledo, and then we drove down to the south to Malaga where we were based. When you go away and you stay in a hotel for one night, do you unpack and put your stuff in the drawers? There are people who do this. <laughs> I've been with them. I know they do. They open up the suitcase, they take everything out and put it into the more than one drawer. They close it up, and we're only sleeping there. And they get up in the morning, and they take everything and put it back in the suitcase. <laughs> take the stuff they hung up, and you know, put it back in. And I rummage around in my suitcase. Now, I do that for at least a week. <laughs> I'm staying someplace for a week I don't unpack. You just rummage through the suitcase. Toss your laundry in a corner, and in the end, find a bag to stick it into, and you know, and that's it. I'm going to unpack? I'm just there for a week. Yeah? What if you're going to be there for a year? Okay? So, I used to teach in seminary, and I know for a fact there are guys who go to yeshiva and seminary, they come to Israel for a year, they live out of their suitcase. <laughs> There's not enough place to put everything away, so they have their stuff in their suitcase, and they're living out of their suitcase for an entire year. What if you moved into an apartment for three years? You might unpack. Maybe not, I don't know. It depends on the personality. You might unpack. If, uh, I know I'm going to stay there for three years. What if I want to be there for ten years? I might unpack. I might even paint. <laughs> when you rent an apartment, there's always this decision. Is it really kadai to invest anything in this apartment? Because I'm only renting. On the other hand, the, the walls have started to get a little grungy. You know, Maybe it's kadai. Maybe I should do a sponger. <laughs> It is 10 years, you know. <laughs> Maybe, you know. Maybe I'll put up a light fixture. That's a little extreme. I think I'll just go to the happening and buy one of those paper balls. <laughs> when we first rented an apartment, all of our fixtures was the standard wire with a light bulb at the end. So we didn't want to invest any money, so we bought those paper balls. This was a major... Uh, decorating move for us, you know, <laughs> since we were eating off of yeshiva dishes and, you know, they're one of their tables and chairs, you know. So one of my former, you know, guys from NCSY came to visit. I said, what do you think? He goes, not bad, starting to look like a college dorm room, you know what I mean? <laughs> Moving up in the world. But if you're there for 10 years, maybe I put up a light fixture. What if you knew you were renting this apartment and you were going to be there for 400 years? You might redo the bathroom. <laughs> you might if you have one of those old Israeli toilets where the, where the box is like eight feet up and when you flush everybody in the neighborhood knows about it you know might change the toilet you know might fix some of the cracked tiles you know I might re you know uh, epoxy the um, bathtub so the person downstairs doesn't start screaming every time I take a shower because it's dripping down and maybe 400 years? When the people heard they were going to be in Mitzrayim for 400 years, they not only unpacked, they bought houses, they settled in. The 400, you want to live out of a suitcase for 400 years? That's, that's a little extreme even for me. You understand? You know, I could do it for a year. You know what I mean? For 400 years. You want to unpack already, get an arm. You know what I mean? You know, you want to unpack, you want to settle in which means that the Egyptian gullus 
was beginning to take a hold on them. And that's what he means, Mitzoros hashibud they weren't enslaving them. That didn't happen until Miriam was born. That's why her name, Miriam, it comes from mar, from bitterness. Right? People don't always appreciate this when we name our kids. You know, one time when my kids were all little, uh, daughter Eliza said, what does my name mean? I said, your name means happy. Yaffa said, what does my name mean? I said, your name means pretty. Yaakov says, what does my name mean? He who grasps the heel. <laughs> and it was downhill from there. <laughs> Esther meant God will hide his face from us. <laughs> Rivka's a cow, Ruckel's a sheep. <laughs> Miriam is bitterness. Batsheva, who was my seventh daughter, I thought this was so clever. My seventh daughter, I named her Batsheva. I later found in the Mepharshim, it really means Bat Sova. <laughs> It's like naming her fat girl. <laughs> when she found out, she was not happy. <laughs> but you know this. When you name your children, you can never get it right. Never get it right. My, my wife's aunt, Bela, so I didn't want to name a kid Bela. I was in America at the time, you know. So Bela really comes from Bella, which means beautiful. That's why I named her Yafa, you know. So the family said, that doesn't count. So, okay. <laughs> So, uh, so um, my father, his, his mother was, Mir was Mariam, which is Russian for Miriam. I know he loved her. You know, I said, Dad, I named her Miriam for your mother. Her name was Mariam. <laughs> my wife's grandmother was Rachel. She was just, change of Rachel. So I told my mother-in-law, you know, oh, we named her Rachel for your mother. Her name was really Rachel. <laughs> Rachel so finally, when it came to my daughter, Mindy, yeah, for her aunt Mindel, you know, everyone called her Minnie, but her name was Mindel. I said, I'm not crazy about the name, but I'm not going to have one of those scenes. I'm going to give you it exactly. So I called my mother and I said, I named it for your aunt uh, Minnie. I, I named her Mindel. She never liked that name. <laughs> when it came to my last kid, I said to my in-laws, you name him. I'm not even that... I give up. You pick the name, whatever you want. You pick whatever name you want. And I knew it was going to be Shraga Fievel, you know? <laughs> My mother-in-law's father was Shraga Fievel. I just, I couldn't do that to a kid. But I said, at this point, I don't even care, you know? I had a, I had a, uh, a you know, my, my father-in-law's name was Shlomo, you know? And uh, my mother's grandfather was Avram Fischl. I said, I'll put them all together and call him Shraga Shlomo Official Fievel. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't even care anymore, you know? <laughs> they picked Shlomo. Really surprised. Anyway, but, uh, you know, when you, when you, when you got to give the names, yeah? So, Pasha's um, Stuma. So, the, the, because of the Sheba, the Sheba didn't start till Miriam. My gosh, I went to all that. Just that. <laughs> Can't believe it. Anyway, Miriam, that's when it started. The bitterness was by Miriam, yeah? And, uh, and, and, uh, and nevertheless, it says the Shebud started now. Why? Because the people knew, okay, this is it. We're not leaving. And they knew they weren't leaving. Because when Yosef went to bury Yaakov, he had to get special permission from Paro. And Paro sent the army along. And he says, leave your animals and your children behind because uh, they're not going. 
So they understood that it already started to go. And this is the 400 years. And since they knew they were going to be here for 400 years, so they, they settled in. Because of that, their eyes and hearts were closed. They didn't see that this is temporary. How do you live temporary for 400 years? Yeah? Could you imagine you moved into some place in 1617, and you're just leaving now, and you're supposed to think that that was temporary? Poland. Right? They used to say, I meant Poland. Here we will stay. For people to leave Europe was, was a very difficult thing. In Spain, nobody wanted to leave Spain. It's a paradise. You know? Jews chose to become Christians rather than have to leave Spain. So it was so hard for them. Yeah? 400 years I'm supposed to live here and feel like I'm, I'm, I'm just sojourning. I don't really live here. So because of that, their eyes and hearts started to close. Yosef didn't want them to feel Egyptian. Tell them your shepherds that's a to'eva. It's, it's a disgusting profession. But nobody hates people who do a disgusting profession. Right? Um, there was a laugh line in a very, very, very old show called The Honeymooners. One of the characters worked in the sewer. And that was like, you know, so he, he carried himself as if he was a somewhat little person. I don't know, you could have a PhD and work in the sewers for all I know. I have no idea, you know. It doesn't mean anything about you. When you say people, uh, you know, I, I, work in the, I work in the sewer, so people feel a certain distance from you. You understand? Le dogma, right? The Gemara says, that if a woman marries a tanner, at any time she can ask for a divorce and get her ksuba. Right? Anytime they want. Why? Because the way they used to treat hides was by putting it into acid. And the cheapest, most accessible form of acid was uric acid. So they used to collect all the chamber pots, make a big vat, put the hides in, roll up their sleeves, and work the hides. And then afterwards they would shower, and yet somehow the smell <laughs> would linger. <laughs> so a woman got married to a tanner thinking she could handle this, and after a while she was like, that's it. I had enough of this. You know what I mean? There's only so much I can take. You know what I mean? When the kids were little and I was changing diapers, mother, but now it's like, <laughs> I can't take the smell anymore. You know what I mean? So <laughs> that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with a tanner. We need tanners. But as the Gemara says, we need tanners and we need perfumers. It's a much better profession, <laughs> just based on how you come out smelling at the end, you know? But, uh, you know, it's, uh, uh, nobody hates you. There's no anti-sewer workers defamation league because people are, you know, burning crosses on their front lawn, you know what I mean? And, and they're trying to ostracize them from society. Yeah, they may not be invited to the finest dinner parties, but uh, nobody hates them. We hate the stranger. We hate the foreigner. We're suspicious of them. Yeah? I moved here, and uh, when I went to buy an apartment, so I was an ole. As you know, when you move here, you become an ole, because a Corbin ola is completely burnt and nothing remains. <laughs> you become an oila. So, uh, 
So I, had, I was entitled to a discount on my apartment from the taxes. I had to go to Misrat of Pnim. And I said, do I need to bring my wife? And they said, no. I said, are you sure? He said, yes. All you need is a notarized letter from a notary. I'm a notary. And he wrote the letter and notarized it and gave it to me. I said, you're sure? He says, yes. And so I went to the Misrat of Pnim. I brought food with me for several days. I brought reading <laughs> material. I brought a sleeping bag. I was ready. I came in. I was the third person there. I had number 2009. No problem. I sat there. I sat there. I'm waiting until my turn comes, you know? And I go up there and I said, uh, Next. <laughs> I've been here a while, so I know how things work. You know, it, when I first got here, I would have just walked away in a daze, not knowing any better. You know, so I did what is the minute hamakam. I started screaming at the top of my lungs. <laughs> Somebody comes over. Michael goes. Do you <laughs> she says, looks at it and says, look like he's Well, that's the only time that ever happened to me. She so takes the form and she starts filling it out. She says, Lama tatsoik? That's a little money, tatsoik! So if I wasn't yelling, you'd send me back online. I'd have to come back with a witch's broomstick. She says, I'm not doing your papers. I said, be quiet, do your work. <laughs> she said, Beseda. <laughs> it's really a mindset. It's a mindset, you know? I said, I can't believe this country. In America, these kind of things never happen. She goes, Tachzol America, I'm the stranger. I'm the out one. I don't know how it works here in Telstone. I don't know. Everybody knows all the problems is because of the Americans. The Americans are the problem of everything. An Israeli could do everything that an American does three times over, and that's okay because their last name is fill in the blank. You know, but we're Americans, so we're the problem. We bring all the problems. You know, and we think to ourselves, we made this tremendous sacrifice to come here. We, you know, we left behind our culture. We left behind, you know, an easier life. We left behind our family. That's one of the reasons we moved here. And uh, <laughs> I said that wasn't a bar mitzvah, and the laugh was too big. I'm sorry. It was really too big. Anyway, and, uh, you know, and we live all the time. We made such a sacrifice. Anybody appreciate it? Anybody say, oh, this is unbelievable that you came here? You know what I mean? Like, you know? I was telling a story to a teacher in the local Beis Yaakov, you know, how my, my daughter was at a Erev um, Chavriti, you know, and she volunteered to do the dishes afterwards. And, and the Israeli woman was going crazy, using so much water, you know. So uh, I said to her, I said, you know, when you come from America, you don't have this sense because we don't live in the desert, you know what I mean? We live in a first world country with lots of water and stuff, and, you know, it's not like there's water. And she started yelling, 
He says, I don't know why they come here, and they destroy the water, they use it for resources, who needs them here, where do they come here? And she's teaching in a basic Yaakov in Harnov, and I'm thinking to myself, some of this must come across to the children. <laughs> That's just my feeling. I'm sure she does a good job of holding it back, but I'm sure somehow it must seep out a little bit. The contempt that she has for people who, instead of saying, look at how much they had and they sacrificed to come to a country where everything is so difficult, they don't look at it that way. People don't, don't appreciate us. You hate the stranger. Agatha Christie, her first novel that she ever wrote was a Hercule Poirot mystery. And the main suspect was a suspect simply because he was a foreigner, you know? And it, people suspect the foreigner, you know? That's the way it is. In the poem, The Hangman, you know? One of the first people he kills is a foreigner. So what do you think of a foreigner, you know? Suspicion of foreigners. They're persecuted. People who are physically different are persecuted. I still hear, uh, not still, but I used to hear stories of people who work with two. He says a Jewish guy would go into the shower and they'd see he, was, he had a bris milah and they would beat him up. You know? They see you're physically different. Yosef didn't want them to be persecuted. He didn't want them to be strangers and he didn't want them to be, you know, um, uh, stand out. But he didn't want them to be too comfortable. He wanted them not to be in the highlight of society. When I was growing up, I used to hear from my parents. That's goyim. Yidin don't do that. A yid doesn't do that. Today, a yid can run for president. Right? A yid ran for vice president. Almost won if the people in Florida figured out how to put out the punch cards. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, the Jewish vice president. You know, Jewish senators. From people. Number one conservative podcast in America is an Orthodox Jew. You know, There's, they, they, they can be anywhere. You can do anything. We're in the, the, the top of society. Yosef didn't want that. When he saw they were starting to feel too Egyptian, Yaakov couldn't give over the, the, the case. Because if I knew that I'm going to be here for 3,400 years, I'll already redo the kitchen. That's uh, 3,000 years already could I do the kitchen. <laughs> You'll make it back, you know what I mean? But uh, if, they're, if they're already losing heart, they haven't got the patience to live out of a suitcase for 400 years, then I can't, their eyes and hearts are closed. They're already settling into Egypt. And so he wants to be Megalus the Cates. So he says, there's no hate. And Hashem says, if there's no hate, there's no Cates. Golis is not just bad luck. It's not just meta-historical events. Yeah? I'll tell you something very harsh. It's harsh to hear, yeah? <clears throat> of uh, Rabbi Peir, the Roshiva of Yeshiva Farakwe. He said once on Tishlov, he says, anytime you find something, and by the Goyim, it started with us. Le Dugma. said, we're the only people on the face of the earth that don't eat blood. How are we the ones who are accused of killing people to eat their blood? Yeah? We're the only ones. So he says, Pashtuns came from Mechiras Yosef because we pretended that animal blood was human blood so the Goyim can do it too. It starts with us and it, and it goes out to there. Yeah. He says, how could there be something called Holocaust denial? 
especially when the people who are claiming the Holocaust never took place are the people who are saying they wish it had, and they're planning the next one. There's so much documentation, there's so much evidence, there's so much everything to support it. How is it even possible to deny a historical event with so much evidence? The Nazis themselves admit it. How is that even possible? He says, it had to start with us. He says, you know why it starts with us? He says, because it's also to ask why the Holocaust happened. And this used to happen with Victor Miller all the time. He would discuss why he felt the Holocaust happened, and people would scream at him from the audience and say, you're, you're uh, defaming the Kedoshim. He says, you're defaming a Kodesh Baruch you think, you think the Holocaust happened for bad luck? We were just innocent victims. God just decided to walk away, and bad people came and attacked us, and God didn't notice, and we didn't do anything wrong? The Gemara asks why there was Chorban Bayez Rishon. The Gemara asks why was there Chorban Bayez Shani. The Rishonim ask why were there Crusades. The Achronim ask why was there Chelmenki. At every tragedy, we have asked ourselves, what did we do that caused this? And when it comes to the Holocaust, it's usher to ask. I'm not saying you'll have the right answer. We're not in the vehicle. But you can't ask? You can't even ask the question. He says, because we deny that the Holocaust had any meaning, people can deny that it ever happened. If ain't hate, ain't kates. If we never did anything wrong, then there's never going to be a redemption. We didn't end up in Golis for nothing. We're here for a reason. There's a reason Mashiach hasn't come. And if we can't sit down and look and say, uh-oh, what's wrong? The Shekhinah left Yaakov Avinu. He wanted to tell him, so instead he told him, not the best way to make a potato kugel. He told him what you have to work on. Where are your kochos? Where are your failings? What do you have to change? Where's the potential for you to do something great in this world? And if you sit down and you understand who you are and what you can do, life's not fair if you haven't figured it out by now. You know? My wife is convinced that life is automatically good if you're tall and thin. I said this over once at a Sheva Brachas for a friend of ours who was tall and thin. And another woman came over who was tall and thin and was divorced and said, it doesn't always work that way. You know? But that didn't convince my wife. But, uh, <laughs> you know, life is not fair. Some people have genes like me. I don't even have to eat. I just have to look at the food and I gain weight. <laughs> Sometimes I don't even have to look at it. I just have to think about it. You know what I mean? You know? That's how it is. I've got diabetes. I've got heart disease. I've got, I collect diseases, you know? I also collect learning disabilities. I have every learning disability known to... So far, every time they find a new one, they test me, and I've got that one too. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm dyslexic. I have ADD. I have uh, focusing problems. I have whatever it is. I got it. You know what I mean? Um, you know that added with the fact that I'm I'm have what my father had, which is when he reached his fifties, um, everybody's name was uh 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 uh. uh <laughs> my memory's going. You know that's it. You know I have friends who, you know came from functional families, they don't have any learning disabilities, they don't have any diseases, everything goes well for them. They have different challenges in life. Everybody has challenges in life. And everybody has abilities, right? So he doesn't have all of my problems, 
but he sure isn't as interesting as I am to listen to. <laughs> I think it's the tragedy that gives me that edge. <laughs> you know? Everybody gets gifts and everybody gets uh, challenges. And you're in this world to be able to do something great. If there's no ches test, then there's no kuft sadi. The goal of getting the out of Golis and getting the Geula is two things. The first thing is we have to understand that we, there's a reason why we're in Golis. It didn't just happen. There are things that we have to work on. And the other thing is to open our eyes and our hearts and say, I don't want to be here. Right? I don't want to be in Golis, whether we're in Eretzville or not. You know? The fact that, uh, you know, um, you know uh, during the Intifada, you know, so they were throwing rocks, so people put these screens on their cars so that their windshields wouldn't shatter, you know? So then they started shooting, so they put in bulletproof glass. I drove to speak someplace in the Shtachim in a car with bulletproof glass and, you know, that kind of thing. I, you know, so it's a uh, Seder, it's not so bad. Not so bad. People aren't, if there are no random stabbings, no random shootings, you know what I mean? Nothing blowing up. It's, oh, Givaldic, it's great. You know? You know? They opened up a, another restaurant with another hashkacha that half the people don't trust. It's one of the great things in Eretzel. No matter what hashkacha you eat, somebody will tell you it's chazatreif. Doesn't matter what. <laughs> There's nothing that everybody trusts. I shouldn't say that. I went to a Rav once and I asked him about every hashkacha and he says, some people don't eat them. So I came to Reuben. He says, oh, you know, Reuben, you can trust. So what about Badatz? So everybody eats Badatz. I said, but can you trust Badatz? You can trust Reuben. <laughs> I said, you can't trust Badatz? Everybody eats Badatz. <laughs> we went back and forth like this four or five times. I realized I wasn't going to get any more information. You know what I mean? But other than that, whatever you eat, uh, yeah. Mm. I heard stories. <laughs> I met a mashkiach, funny guy. <laughs> All kinds of stuff, you know. In America, you can eat anywhere. It doesn't make a difference, you know. Everything's kosher. In America, everything's kosher. In Israel, nothing is. So, except for Rubens. And, and everyone eats badats. But anyway. Uh, anyway. <laughs> the, uh, the point is that it's not good enough. We want the base of Mikdash. Can you imagine that, that the base of Mikdash comes down and this Pesach, you know, we're going to bring a Korban Pesach and we're going to eat it in the old city. We have a real Seder with a Korban Pesach on the, on the thing. And all the Yidn will come to Eretzel. And all the resources of the world will be dedicated to bringing the Jews here and setting us up. You know, and, and, and the world will be back the way it's supposed to be. No more hunger, no more disease, and no more suffering, and no more problems, and you know, people who can't pay their bills, and you know, and people, you know, Remember during the economic collapse in 2008, I said to somebody, I said, uh, were you affected? He goes, didn't lose my overdraft, so I'm just where I was, <laughs> you know? What do you think, I lost my many investments? <laughs> you know? There won't be any problems, all the problems will be gone. And, and, and we get used to it. We get used to it. We have to say, there's got to be a better life than this. Parshas Vayechi is at the end of Bereshis. That means at the end of time. It means it's speaking to us. We have to open our hearts and open our eyes, and we have to say, this is not good enough. I want the geula for real. 
And if I have to look for that ches test, I'm willing to do it in order to get the kup tzadi. And it's Hashem. This Pesach, we should be zoichet to be able to have a Korban Pesach. We should be able to be zoichet to an Amos Agulah. Vach.